0: This season of Out Alive is brought to you by Garmin. Stay tuned until the end of the show where you'll hear this bonus survival story.
1: And I I remember falling backwards and seeing the the skyline behind me. And it's it's all mountains there. And just seeing these these peaks flipped upside down because I was tumbling backwards and thinking just how strange it was that that was probably the last thing I was ever gonna see.
0: In most of the stories we tell on this podcast, there's one incident, a turning point, when the adventure plunges into horror. We know that a single moment can turn a person's world upside down. But that's not always how disaster strikes. Sometimes peril reveals itself slowly and the situation unravels with one small decision after another. Over hours... Even days, a domino effect ensues until all of a sudden you find yourself far into the danger zone, pinned to a mountain, wind and snow whipping around you, fighting for your life.
1: I made a decision to survive. You're in that survival mode. The the idea of dying wasn't in my head.
0: I knew immediately it was a worst case scenario. I was in a fight for my life situation.
1: Whenever you walk out on these trails, you're in their
2: house.
0: I'm Louisa Albanese, and you're listening to Out Alive by Backpacker. In each episode of this podcast, we'll bring you real stories of real people who survived the unsurvivable.
3: I saw the rope zip through the rappel ring,
2: and I couldn't do anything.
0: Learn what went wrong, what went right, and how you can escape if the worst-case scenario happens to you.
2: There is no way we would find anybody alive.
3: My name is Yev. I uh, was born in Ukraine and came to the United States when I was 13 years old, came to New York. And then I started going out into the mountains in the early 2000s. So I've been at it for about 15 years.
0: As a resident of Portland, Oregon, Yev has made numerous trips to Mount Rainier and summited six times by various routes.
3: Rainier has always been one of the most formative mountains for me and have a very special relationship with it.
0: In May of 2019, Yev set his sights on a new challenge, the Advanced Liberty Ridge Route. The route follows a prominent and exposed line up Rainier's north face. Climbing it requires navigating crevasses, avalanche risk and steep ice and snow.
2: On Mount Rainier, and this applies to other mountains as well, it's important for climbers to plan around a concept of a weather window.
0: This is Guy Mansfield, director of the Washington State Search and Rescue Planning Unit, a volunteer agency that was involved in this incident.
2: Our weather systems generally move in from the west and safe climbing weather occurs between these weather systems. So that means when you're out climbing or planning to go on a climb, you don't want to just think, oh, well, look looks like the weather's going to be good today. You need to be thinking, the weather may be good today, but how long is that weather going to be good for?
0: Yev was no stranger to the idea of a safe weather window. Living within driving distance to Rainier meant he often had the luxury of choosing ideal conditions, but this time was different. Yev's three climbing partners were traveling from the East Coast to make the climb. There was Vasily, the team leader, and Konstantin. Both were experienced mountaineers and friends of Yev's. And there was Russ, an accomplished ice climber with no mountaineering experience who Yev had never met. The group's travel plans were tight. If they wanted to summit, they'd have to climb on this particular weekend, whatever the weather.
3: The plan was kind of the standard plan. I was a little bit concerned about the person who has not been at altitude, but I also knew that this was a very good way to acclimate. If you go to base camp around 7,000 feet, high camp around 10,000 feet, uh, spend the night and then go up to the summit, this was a very good way for him to get adjusted to the altitude.
0: So the plan was set. They'd head to base camp on Friday afternoon. On Saturday, they would climb to Thumb Rock, sleep there, then push for the summit early on Sunday. But a few days before their climb, the team got word of dangerous rockfall conditions on the mountain.
3: The week before, we heard that there was an accident. At high camp, there were some rocks that came down, one climber was killed in the accident, and uh, two others were pretty severely injured. So we knew that things were maybe a little bit out of the ordinary, something that concerned all of us very much. We discussed it, we thought about, you know, maybe going from base camp up to the summit without staying at high camp. In retrospect, it was not a good option because of the lack of acclimation.
0: So the group set a new plan in motion. Instead of a three-day ascent, they'd set out at 10 p.m. on Saturday, skip high camp, and climb all day to reach the summit on Sunday.
3: We rested for half of Saturday, then started climbing around 10 p.m. There's a big glacier that you have to cross before getting to the ridge. So there's a lot of crevasse navigation. Uh, so that took us some time. Because I, I have a lot of experience climbing on steep snow, uh, I kind of took over the lead at that point, and And I, I went really fast. I think... Maybe going fast, and this is from about 9,000 to 10,000 feet. That gain in elevation, my friends got very tired. I could see when we got finally to the saddle where Thumb Rock is, they were kind of struggling.
0: The sun was just beginning to rise, and the climbers needed a break. But now they were near Thumb Rock and they could see rocks falling down nearby. Stopping was not an option.
3: So we went on, and uh, by that time, especially our friend Ross was already struggling. But it was a spot where you didn't want to start going back down.
0: The angle of the slope and snow conditions meant it would be dangerous to descend the safest way off the mountain was up and over to the easier Emmons route.
3: Ross, we put him in the lead just so that he's going at the pace he's comfortable with. Then we reached a section where there was ice. At that point, Ross was already talking in slurred speech and not really understanding what, what is happening. Uh, So Vasily, the leader, decided that instead of following on the ice, we would try and find some more snow that would be safer. But in order to be climbing on the snow instead of the ice, we had to go off route.
0: Yev and his teammates recognized right away that Russ was suffering from altitude sickness. At high elevations, the body can struggle to adjust to low oxygen levels, leading to headache, nausea, and dehydration. Rest or descending will clear up acute mountain sickness, but it can progress to high-altitude cerebral edema, a condition where the brain swells that can be deadly.
3: The wind uh, started to pick up We didn't really expect the weather to change until later, until the night, but I think the storm moved in uh, faster than we expected. With the conditions deteriorating, we realized that Ross really needs to stop, so we decided that we need to set up a tent.
0: The slope was so steep that the tent was only partially supported and there was not enough room for everyone to lie down.
3: So we kind of just allowed Ross to lay inside the tent and settled in for the night, basically.
0: It was a long night. The tent was so unstable, strong gusts of wind pushed it down the slope. The climbers scrambled in and out all night, re securing guy lines and digging their crampons into the snow. A pack with two sleeping bags and some supplies slid away in the chaos and tumbled down the mountain. By morning, the tent was nearly collapsed and badly torn.
3: The three of us had some hypothermia, but Russ had pretty severe hypothermia. I called 911 because I didn't really know any other phone numbers to call. And I told him that one of our team members has pretty severe hypothermia and may need to be airlifted off the mountain. That's when the helicopter came, but the helicopter was not able to get close because of the wind, and so they flew away, and we decided that we'll try to come down to a spot that may be easier for a helicopter to get to.
0: Though the helicopter was deterred by wind, the group's optimism endured. It would come back soon, they figured. Russ would get airlifted and the remaining three would summit and descend via the Emmons Glacier. And so they settled into a flatter spot to wait. The helicopter flew by once more, then disappeared. Meanwhile, the rangers contacted the group's emergency contact, Yev's friend and climbing partner, Tatiana.
4: I got a call from the rangers that they see four people and one person in a sleeping bag. That's all I knew. That night, it was hard to sleep, you know, try to keep my, myself positive. I spent most of the time kind of thinking about them being there and imagine if they like don't have a tent or a sleeping bag or just, you know, try to send positive thoughts.
3: We, we were still really hoping that maybe we can spend another night and Ross can get a little bit better, kind of sit in the tent, whatever was left of it, try to get warm. So we're kind of hopeful that next day will be better.
0: But by morning, Russ was still sick and delirious. The team felt anxious to get moving, but climbing higher would only make Russ's condition worse. Back home, Tatiana was relaying information from the rangers to friends and family.
4: They told me that they couldn't uh, help them because the wind was strong, but they still thinking about getting a Chinook helicopter, and it sounds promising, it's bigger, but the winds are also still pretty strong.
2: Big mountains present special challenges in terms of logistics.
4: Here again is Guy Mansfield.
2: So one factor is just distance and the difficulty of reaching parties who are in trouble. If the weather's socked in, it can be impossible to send uh, helicopters out so that the closing of the weather window also severely hampers search and rescue efforts.
0: Such were the challenges that the rangers faced on Monday and Tuesday. Sustained winds of up to 50 miles per hour had hindered three attempts to retrieve the climbers using the park's helicopter. It was time to pull out the big guns. Rangers requested assistance from a Chinook helicopter, a tandem rotor aircraft that's more stable and powerful, from a nearby Air Force base. Military personnel, including three pararescue jumpers, joined the rescue effort.
3: We saw the Army helicopter, and they couldn't get close to us either. The winds were just so high. That was the point at which we realized that we were in a pretty bad situation because if we were to get off the mountain, we would have to really do it ourselves.
0: It was day five on the mountain. Supplies were running low, the weather was worsening, and morale was beginning to dip.
3: I think on Tuesday night, it really hit me that I have friends, I have family, I have people that I love that are really, really worried. I really wanted to just relay the message that that we're here, we're alive, that we're not giving up.
4: That was the hardest moment on Tuesday evening. They just told me they couldn't help them and I, I couldn't believe it, you know, it kind of hit me hard. That's when you like, you know, sit and like, kind of cry and You know, try to still put yourself together and um, be positive.
0: But on Tuesday night, things took a turn for the worse. The climbers were suffering from hypothermia. Icefall pummeled the tent in the middle of the night and a large chunk smashed into Constantine's face.
3: When the ice stopped coming, Vasily looked at Constantine and he said, I I can see that his eyes is is like rolled back. And so he thought that Constantine, he was dying. He made some sound like he was uh, moaning, but then he stopped. And it it just got quiet. And Vasily said that, I think he's dead. I started thinking, you know, how are we going to get his body down the mountain? And then we listened, we got really close to him, and we heard him breathe, and uh, then he actually woke up, so that was a huge relief. We realized that we're still all, all of us are alive. But. It definitely meant for us that we would have to leave because uh, we didn't really have a tent anymore. Uh, it was completely smashed by, by the ice. We decided that night that, that we were going to move no matter what. You know, we were more or less close to the crux of, of the route and getting to the saddle. And so we decided that we're gonna just take our time, take the entire day, this was a Wednesday already, just try and get to the saddle.
0: All that was left of their supplies was an energy bar and a liter or two of tea and water to share between the four of them. On Wednesday morning, they set off. The plan was to navigate the remaining steep, 1,500 feet of the ridge, crossing a crevasse field to make it up and over to the easier Emmons Glacier route. Either they'd find help near the summit or be able to descend down the other side.
3: That's when we got hit by a really strong wind um, and it kind of just pinned us down um, in this crevasse field. We didn't really have much to protect ourselves, just uh, two sleeping bags. This is when I felt like my friends were starting to lose hope because they were, they just wanted to Stayed. I just wanted to stay put and not move. It was uh, probably the scariest moment for me because I knew that if we were going to stay at this place that uh, we would probably just freeze to death. And so I kept, you know, almost begging them and sometimes yelling at them. and. Uh, just trying to convince them that we should keep going. Luckily, after a few hours, the wind did come down a little bit. So that was really lucky. We moved on, got up to the base of Liberty Cap and Vasily found this crevasse and uh, it was already getting late, so we decided to stay inside and it was kind of like a ice cave that we could spend the night.
0: a sheltered place to sleep for their sixth night on the mountain, things seemed to be looking up for the crew. Miles away in Portland, Tatiana felt hopeful too.
4: I decided to go to my sunset spot and I, I was watching the clouds and the sunset was amazing. It was beautiful colors. Red, pink. I understood that they probably watching the sunset at the same time. And that's clear. It looked promising. There was a hope out there and it made me feel better.
0: In the morning, the team was exhausted and dehydrated. They moved slowly, struggling to decide whether to stay in their ice cave or keep climbing.
3: We made some tea and found an energy bar and split that. And I think the spirits picked up a little bit. You know, we kind of prepared for that final push because we knew we weren't very far away. So we actually made it to the slope to the final 500 feet, 600 feet to the crater. And at that point, I saw that my friends were not feeling that they could go up anymore. And uh, that kind of made my heart sink because we were really close, but but they told me that they were that they were not able to go on. Just that moment, uh, the helicopter showed up right behind us and landed. The ranger jumped out and they started yelling to us, "Are you the Liberty Ridge group?" And I was really happy i was you know I don't know it's I just ran i i grabbed the ropes we were roped up, and I kind of just pulled my friends towards the helicopter i I think um we were very close to just um, giving up at that point um so i'm I'm really happy that um the helicopter showed up um uh, definitely they They did an amazing job, you know, just finding the right weather window to come for us.
0: Tatiana was driving to Rainier when she got the
4: call. She said, well, we got them all. They're all safe. It's such an extreme joy that you just feel like the entire world became better that day. It felt like this extreme feeling joy, tears of joy. We talked to the rangers too and, you know, just said how thankful we are for everyone, everyone who helped. It just felt like everyone did their job. I'm very, very thankful for that. I didn't think I ever believe that it, you know, just by like sending a message with like a positive thoughts can actually help that was the most helpful for me, at least in the hardest times. So that's definitely changes not just one person, the storm changes everyone.
0: Yev almost lost everything to Mount Rainier, but as soon as he was home safe, he knew that he wasn't done with the mountain just yet.
3: At the very end of July, Some of my friends have been asking me to go up Mount Rainier and so I led uh, uh, several friends up to the saddle and to the summit and uh, it was pretty incredible to see. I got to see the place where the helicopter picked us up, I got to see the place where we spent the last night uh, in the crevasse. I asked my friend to set up the tent and I just went aside and I I just sat there and a lot of emotions came back at that point. Rainier is an amazing mountain with so many beautiful routes and, and so many sides to it that I would like to explore. It was a really good experience to be up on Mount Rainier again. It was a beautiful, wonderful day.
0: This season of Out Alive is brought to you by Garmin. Together, we bring you a bonus survival story from someone who made it out alive thanks to their Garmin inReach satellite device. Here's ultra runner and mountaineer Adam Campbell to share his story.
1: My approach to to mountain travel was sort of, I I started out as an ultra runner and I was starting to move more and more into speed mountaineering. And so really trying to do like technical ridge linkups And um, there's an area in Canada called Rogers Pass, which is is one of Canada's national parks. And um, there's this one ridge traverse called the Horseshoe Traverse. And essentially, it's a link up of 14 peaks in the area. And you're traveling across glaciated terrain. I had two partners, very, very competent um, uh, mountain runners and climbers. And um, we, we were looking to try to do this big link up in a single push. So it was quite ambitious. So we were moving, you know, quite light and fast, uh, which has some inherent risks with it. Um, but we we had all the right gear for the day. We had a, an in-reach with me, which in the ca- uh, Canadian backcountry we often don't have cell signal uh, where we are. So it's uh, it's something that um, I carry with me, and especially the the new little mini, which which weighs nothing and it fits in the pack quite easily. And so uh, my two partners were moving a little bit faster than I was through the train, and honestly. My ego was taking a bit of a beating because I just wasn't feeling that good at the moment. And so I was kind of rushing a little bit to keep up with them. And so they moved through this this area. And when I got to it, I moved through exactly the same area they did. And I pulled on this block. And this, this block the size of a small refrigerator essentially pulled out on me. And uh, next thing I knew, I was tumbling backwards down this series of uh, ledges. Yeah, it was it was a really horrific feeling because uh, I was about 300 feet up at the time, and I I remember falling backwards and seeing the the skyline behind me, and it's it's all uh, mountains there, and just seeing these these peaks flipped upside down because I was tumbling backwards and thinking just how strange it was that that was probably the last thing I was ever going to see. You know, my head would hit them, my feet would hit, and falling down these uh, the series of ledges. And uh, next thing I knew, um, I wasn't moving anymore. And uh, I I was face down, um, and all I could see was a pool of blood underneath me, and I was on a pile of scree. Luckily, I have two really competent partners with me. They were able to run down to me quite quickly. They they were convinced that they were coming to a body retrieval because of how far I fell and just how severe the terrain was. Because they saw me fall. They heard me scream, and they watched me fall. But when they got down to me, I was actually able to talk to them. I was somewhat coherent. And uh, I was carrying the inReach in my pack. And so I told my my one partner, Nick Elson, uh, where it was in my pack. And we deployed the inReach, which alerted the authorities. And then from there, Nick was able to go and actually um, connect with the search and rescue team to let them know exactly where we were. And so quite quickly, within half an hour, a helicopter had flown over us and had spotted us. And the helicopter evacuated me out of there and uh, flew me to um, a major trauma center. And it turned out that I'd, I'd broken my T8 to T11 vertebra on my back. I'd sheared off the top of my iliac crest, which is the top of my hip bone. I had deep lacerations down to the bone across my body. Um, it, was, it was a really, really traumatic experience. I was suffering from a lot of blood loss. Um, and so if, if it hadn't, if the had rescuers hadn't come as quickly as they did, uh, if we hadn't you know, been able to alert them as quickly as we did, and uh, then it would have been a very different story for me. And, you need to align as many things as possible in your favor so that if things do go wrong, um, you've at least maximized your chance of survival. So, I basically don't go into the backcountry anymore, especially around Canada, without having some form of communication. Um, so, I know there's going to be cell signal in the area, then I'll have my phone with me. And if not, then we will definitely have that in reach with me. It's one thing to travel light and fast amounts, and it feels really, really freeing. But uh, you also need to have the right amount of gear for when things go wrong, because things can and do go wrong.
0: I'm Backpacker Skills Editor Zoe Gates, and here's a safety tip from Garmin. When traveling over talus, scree, or large boulders, stay nimble and alert, ready to leap away if a rock shifts beneath you. Test the stability of boulders with one foot or a tregging pole before putting your full weight on them. Avoid traveling over talus in wet or slippery conditions. This episode was produced by Zoe Gates, along with me, Louisa Alfenes. Story editing and sound design is by Andrew Mayers. Our scriptwriter is Casey Lyons. This episode was mixed by Jason McDaniel from Electric Audio Inc. Thank you to Yev Krasnitsky, Tatiana Musica, and Guy Mansfield for sharing your stories and perspectives. If you enjoyed this episode of Out Alive, please subscribe and leave us a review.